Shalom Aleichem and welcome to the final installment in this series on Sefer Maccabim. We've been on quite a journey together and I do hope that after listening to this series you have a better understanding of the events of the Maccabean Revolt, the motivations behind it and its place as a part of the drama of Jewish history rather than treating it as an isolated incident. In this final episode I'd like to do a quick recap by running through the main events of the Maccabean Revolt and then round off the series with a piece of Rambam. So we start 34 years after the building of the second base of Migdash, when Alexander the Great conquers Judea from the Persians, but instead of destroying it, he peacefully absorbs Judea into his empire. When Alexander dies, the empire splits into three entities. Judea is initially made part of the Ptolemaic Empire, but later becomes part of the Seleucid Empire. The Seleucid Emperor, Antiochus Epiphanes, is worried about maintaining control of the region, while simultaneously a number of Jews who have been Hellenized by Greek culture desire to force their fellow Jews into becoming Greeks. They approach Antiochus for help, who willingly accepts their offer. They hand over the temple treasury to Antiochus, who sets the reign of terror in motion, demanding the Olympian gods be worshipped, outlawing Shabbat, Rosh Chodesh, Brit Milah, and killing all Jews who resist. Jews fight back, but it's not until Miriam strips down at her wedding feast are a family of Kohanim, the Chashmunaim, catalyzed to fight back seriously. When the Greeks turn up at the hometown of Modiin, demanding they sacrifice a pig, Matityahu kills the Jew who tries to do it and leads a small band of rebels into the hills where they set up camp in their guerrilla war against the Greeks. Matityahu dies within a year, but his son Yehuda takes charge and becomes a legendary warrior and using the tactics of luring the Greeks into the natural canyons and then striking from above, Yehuda leads his soldiers to a series of stunning victories at Ma'ale Levona, Bet Choron, Emmaus and Bet Zur. After the last one, the Seleucid army retreats and Yehuda leads his people to Yerushalayim, where they repair and purify the defiled Beit HaMikdash and kindle the menorah which burns for eight days. Following this victory and the establishment of the eight-day holiday known as Hanukkah, Increasing anti-Semitism in the surrounding nations forces Yehuda to lead an expedition into the Gilad to free a group of trapped Jews living there, whom they bring back to Judea with them. Antiochus Epiphanes dies on the campaign into Persia to raise funds and is succeeded by his son Antiochus Eupater. When some Hellenized Jews slander Yehuda to the new emperor, Antiochus sends under his general Lysias a large army and a herd of war elephants into Judea, whom the Maccabees confront at Bethsacharia. After Elazar is crushed to death by the carcass of an elephant he slays, the Jews retreat to Yerushalayim and the Greeks besiege the city, finally lifting the siege on the 28th of Shavat, which is declared as a minor holiday. Then Demetrius, cousin of Antiochus, escapes from Rome and makes his way to Antioch, where he usurps the Seleucid throne. Demetrius sends his general Bacchides to Judea, and Bacchides appoints his own Kohen Gadol, a Jew named Alchemus. Alchemus is not quite as bad as the radically Hellenized Kohen Gadot Menelaus who preceded him, but he still wants Yehuda dead. He asks Demetrius for support, and Demetrius sends his general Nicanor to Judea. Nicanor becomes friends with Yehuda HaMakkabi and tries to convince him to lay down his arms. When Demetrius scolds Nicanor for not doing his job, Nicanor turns against Yehuda and even threatens to destroy the Beit HaMikdash. This means war, but only Yehuda's core group of followers answer the call. The Hasidim do not fight because they do not believe it is necessary to fight for the liberation of Eretz Yisrael. That night, Yehuda has a dream of Yirmiyahu Hanavi handing him a golden sword and giving him the go-ahead to fight. And the next day, the 13th of Adar, they achieve a miraculous victory over Nicanor and his soldiers, assisted by the Jews from the surrounding villages who pour in to fight. The 13th of Adar is declared as a minor holiday too. 
Yehuda sends ambassadors to the Romans to establish friendship between the two peoples, but they haven't much chance to enjoy it before Demetrius sends another army against the Jews, who Yehuda goes up against at Elassa with just 800 men. Despite being outnumbered, they fight their hardest, but they are overwhelmed and Yehuda is killed on the battlefield. His brothers bury his body in Modian. With Yehuda dead, all his good work appears to unravel, as the Hellenized Jews begin handing out his followers and handing them over to the Greeks, until only a handful are left free. Desperate, they appeal to Yonatan to assume the mantle of leadership, and Yonatan does so. When Bakhidis corners them on the banks of the Jordan, Yonatan beats them back, and then leads his small number of followers across the Jordan River into the desert, where they find and kill the bandits who murdered his brother Yohanan. After returning to Judea, Yonatan outwits Bakhidis yet again, eventually persuading Bilata to leave Judea. Enter Alexander Ballas, contender for the Seleucid throne, who persuades Yonatan to back him in his quest to unseat Demetrius. Alexander defeats Demetrius to become emperor, becomes the Egyptian pharaoh's son-in-law, and treats Yonatan with great respect and admiration. Thus the Jews have a relatively peaceful existence for five years. After that, Demetrius' son, Demetrius II, comes from Crete and challenges Yonatan to a battle not in the mountains, but on the plain, where, quote-unquote, there is nowhere to flee in defeat. Yonatan comes down to the plain, and even though he is initially surrounded with enemy soldiers, he keeps his cool and achieves a great victory, for which he is handsomely rewarded by Alexander Ballas. Ptolemy, the Egyptian pharaoh, decides he doesn't want Alexander as his son-in-law anymore, and conspires with Demetrius to unseat him. They clash in a great battle, in which Alexander loses, flees, and is later beheaded, but Ptolemy is grievously injured and later succumbs to his injuries leaving Demetrius as the sole Seleucid ruler. Judea is still not fully independent from Greece, so Yonatan tries using diplomacy to persuade Demetrius to remove the obstacles in the way of Judean independence. For instance, the taxes levied on Judea by Seleucid Greece and the bands of mercenaries still positioned up and down the country. He appears to make some progress when Demetrius agrees to release them from paying tribute. Having no enemies left to fight, Demetrius dismisses most of his soldiers without pay which is a mistake as it causes them to turn on him. Sensing this, Demetrius hires 3,000 Jewish soldiers from Yonatan, and when the population of Antioch storm the emperor's palace and attempt to lynch him, Demetrius's life is saved by these Jewish soldiers who drive the people away by shooting from the rooftops. Despite this, Demetrius stabs Yonatan in the back by refusing to release them from tribute. In the new development, the son of Alexander Ballas is returned from Arabia by one of Alexander's soldiers named Tryphon, and all of Demetrius's soldiers defect over to him, forcing Demetrius to flee northward to Turkey. But it doesn't take long before he is marching on Judea again, and when Yonatan meets him by the Kinneret, Demetrius ambushes him with soldiers hidden in the nearby mountains, and all but 50 of Yonatan's soldiers run away. Despite this, Yonatan still manages to turn back the enemy and win the battle. Following this, Yonatan renews the Jews' friendships with the Romans and also the Lacedaemonians of Sparta, and stops a retaliatory attack from Demetrius in its tracks by sending spies into the enemy camp. But then Tryphon decides he wants to be emperor instead of Antiochus, and hatches a plan to get rid of Yonatan. Tryphon lures Yonatan into the walled city of Acre, then has the gates locked and takes him prisoner. Shimon now steps up to leave the people, and Tryphon offers to release Yonatan in exchange for two of Yonatan's sons and a hundred talents of silver, but when Shimon pays up, Tryphon doesn't release him. Tryphon, however, is unable to gain a foothold in Judea, and eventually he decides to return to Antioch. But first he murdered Yonatan, and Shimon has his body returned to Modi'in. Shimon then has a magnificent monument built at his brother's gravesite.
Shimon finally manages to convince Demetrius to remove the last remaining Seleucid taxes from Judea, and on the 18th of Elul, the war is won. Shimon also leads the people in demolishing the Acre, which falls into their hands on the 23rd of Iyar. Shimon rules the people for eight years, which are a golden age of peace for Judea. In Antioch, Tryphon is defeated by Antiochus, brother of Demetrius, and flees to the port city of Dora. Antiochus asks Shimon for assistance with the siege, but then turns nasty and demands that Shimon return the lands unlawfully captured from Seleucid Greece. Shimon firmly replies that they stole nothing, but have returned to their rightful inheritance, which they were unfairly displaced from several hundred years before. Antiochus tries to fight Shimon, but when that fails, he convinces Shimon's power-hungry son-in-law, Ptolemy, to assassinate Shimon at a banquet. Ptolemy does so, and Shimon is killed and succeeded by his son, Yohanan Hyrcanus. And then, as we covered in the Aftermath episode, things go downhill very fast. So one might ask, why are we even celebrating on Hanukkah? If everything went so horribly wrong, then why bother celebrating? I'd like to try and answer, and with this I hope to conclude the series by relating something I heard from Rabbi Menachem Listman, a teacher in Yeshivat Machon Meir in Yerushalayim. In Mishnah Torah, in the section on Hanukkah, the Rambam gives a historical background to the Chag. During the period of the Second Temple, when the Greek kings were in power, they proclaimed decrees against the Jewish people, abrogating their religion and forbidding them to study the Torah or to perform the divine precepts. They laid their hands on their wealth and their daughters. They entered the temple and broke through it, defiling the things that were pure. The people of Israel were sorely distressed by their enemies, who oppressed them ruthlessly until the God of our fathers took pity, saved and rescued them from the hands of the tyrants. The Hashminai Kohanim Gedolim won victories, defeating the Syrian Greeks and saving Israel from their power. They set up a king from among the priests, and Israel's kingdom was restored for a period of more than two centuries, until the destruction of the Second Temple. There is certainly more than one way to understand Hanukkah and the Maccabean Revolt, but I feel this paragraph from Rambam sums up the approach I've been trying to present throughout this series. On Hanukkah, we celebrate Independence Day. We celebrate our victory over the Greeks at the Battle of Betzur, our liberation of Yerushalayim, rededication of the Beit HaMikdash, and as Rambam tells us, the re-establishment of a Hebrew kingdom. Did that kingdom flop terribly? Yes. Was this kingdom eventually destroyed? Yes. But despite this, there is value to Jewish independence in our land, because only through Jewish independence in our land can the world be elevated to its ideal state. I want to thank all of you listeners for sticking with this series the entire way. A lot of work went into it, and it's truly amazing to see it through to its completion. I hope that by listening to it, I hope that by listening to it, you now possess a greater appreciation for the Hanukkah story, both as to where it falls in context of our people's history as a whole, and a deeper understanding of the significance behind the events, and how to view them in the broader context of the war. I want to thank my teachers at the Vision Movement for everything you taught me. Without you, I would never have dreamed of being able to produce something like this. I want to especially thank Rabbi Huda HaKohen for all the Torah which has truly changed my life, and also for agreeing to upload this podcast onto Vision Magazine. And finally, I want to thank Hashem, who makes all things possible.